Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I grew up as a homeschool kid, and this isn't meant to come across as a brag, but naturally I was just a really good student. Is All of the schoolwork came really easy to me. I was a straight-A kid all the way through middle school and grade school. And so um, what that meant is just homework assignments came really easy. And as I started to get a little older and get into the like uh, 9 or 10, grade 4 and 5 age, it started to hit the point, um, if you're a homeschool parent, maybe you can relate, where what I was learning started to get over the head of my parents and it was to the point that I was learning stuff that they had learned 20 years ago, um, but at that point could no longer understand and, and help me with what I was doing. And so that was the case, but this truth still stood that they needed to grade my homework assignments. And so I'm a 9 or 10-year-old kid at the time, and my parents had the brilliant idea that I should start grading my own homework assignments. And most of you are probably sensing the dark path that this is headed towards. And so as I started to grade my own homework assignments, I began to notice what I had already been seeing, is that all of my homework assignments were coming back with 100%. I was doing a good job. And so over the next couple of weeks, I started to continue grading it and be like, well, I'm, I'm really smart, apparently, because I keep doing really well. And over those weeks, it began to go to my head, and the thought hit me, well, if I'm getting 100% anyways, well, then why would I waste time and, and actually check all of this work? Why don't I just start marking down 100% on the top of the page and call it a day? And so that's what I started to do, um, which would not go well for me in the long run, because over time then, over those next couple weeks of doing that, I started to feel those same feelings that many of us have felt when we start to feel guilty about something, that uncomfortable feeling in your stomach. I began to feel separation from my parents and from God because I knew I was doing something wrong. And the only way that that could be broken down was then by a couple weeks later when I went to my parents and said, hey, I'm really sorry, this is what I've been doing. And so, of course, my punishment then was to go back myself and regrade all of those same assignments. Um, but I'm really pleased to tell you that they were all still 100%. So, hey, not that much went wrong. But even at that early age, um, I had experienced what the feelings of guilt and shame feel like and that separation that happens when, when we're in a wrong relationship, when we do something wrong and don't seek forgiveness between my parents and, and, and between God and I think we find that the only path to tear down the separation that builds up there is by seeking and by offering forgiveness. And so tonight, I'm excited. We're going to continue, as Pastor Dan said, our Blueprint of the Heart series. Last week, Mandy kicked us off by talking about the heart that seeks belonging, which is just the perfect thing to lead into tonight, because I think what we find is that as we seek belonging and as we seek community with those around us, that that is completely impossible when we let unforgiveness or when we have unforgiveness in our heart create barriers that disrupt that. And so tonight we're going to build on that idea um, by working to tear down those barriers and, and find the relationships and ways to, to find forgiveness in them. And so there's a couple of questions that I want to start off with tonight and answer those as, as we build up towards this first blueprint. And the first one is, what is forgiveness? Why do we need it? And then how do we attain it? And so let's start with what forgiveness is. 
Psychologists have, have defined forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or a group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. And what I love about this definition is that it describes forgiveness as a decision we make. Because when we think about forgiveness, when we think about the hurts and, and shame and, and the, the ill feelings that build up inside of us that force us to need forgiveness, those are simply what we just said, feelings. And you can't quantify feelings, you can't total feelings, you can't add up feelings, they're just simply abstract, that it's hard to control them. But when we read this definition, it describes forgiveness as a decision to release those feelings. And I think that becomes really important because we've all experienced big hurts that divide and separate relationships around us. And, and we feel it's impossible to forgive the person who offended us and move past, that move past that divide. But when we decide in that moment that it's impossible, we limit the Holy Spirit's work inside of us to help us decide forgiveness to the person. So now that we've defined what forgiveness is, we can build towards the second question. Why do we need forgiveness? In the same way that Mandy talked about last week, our, our basic human needs that sustain us, I believe that God has placed a need inside of us to have for forgiveness. Because if we go a long time holding grudges, or we go a long time being worn down by the weight of guilt and shame, we'll start to experience symptoms that we talked a little bit about, and our hearts and our bodies begin to deteriorate. In medicine, this is known as a guilt complex. Symptoms of a guilt complex include increased anxiety, depression, insomnia, muscle tension, we talked about indigestion, and people who live with heavy weights of guilt in their life experience a shorter life expectancy than those who walk in freedom from that. And living with those symptoms is simply not the way that God designed our bodies and our hearts to function. Romans chapter 8, 1 and 2 says, therefore, this is a verse most of us know, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross established this new covenant where we are able to live free from guilt and condemnation. We don't have to live an angry life of resentment, and we don't have to live a life worn down by guilt and by shame. We can live free when we are built on Jesus. So we've answered the first two. That just leaves us with one more question to answer. How do we attain that forgiveness? And so I know each one of us in the room have experienced some of these symptoms we've talked about of shame, of anxiety, of increased separation with people. And what I can tell is that that's feelings that humanity has experienced all throughout time since the beginning with Adam and Eve. And so I think it's really appropriate that God set up this blueprint that we're able to look back at in a way that tells us how our hearts work and the blueprint that they operate by. And so tonight, I want to go back to the tabernacle that we started last week, and I want to look at two stations um, that we would stop at, that the Israelites would have stopped at on their way into God's presence, and see how those two stations point to forgiveness. And the first one that I want to look at is called the Bronze Basin. So time travel back with me a little bit tonight. We're going to go back into Israelite times, and we're going to walk through the gate that Mandy described to us last week. And as you walk into the gate, and now you're into the courtyard, you start to see this large area ahead of you. 
Um, if you're an Israelite at the time, you would probably be someone who works outside, and so you would naturally feel sweaty, and you would feel dirty. You're living in a desert, and so everything around you would just be sticking to you. If you're walking around the courtyard, you would hear lots of sounds. You would hear animals because they're being led away to get uh, sacrificed at the second piece that we'll talk about in a little bit. But as you're going, the first station that you would need to stop at is what we described as the Bronze Basin. Now, the basin wasn't um, a particularly striking object to look at. Um, the Bible tells us that it was covered with uh, bronze mirrors that actually were donated by women who worked at the temple. And there's a really cool comparison um, with shame and condemnation and freedom that we see in those mirrors that we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, but although the basin itself wasn't entirely striking to look at, um, we find in Exodus that it's important its importance was incredibly essential for the priests to stop there. And so we look in Exodus chapter 30, verse 19 and 21. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it, it being the basin. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. God is, in his nature, holy. And before the Israelites were able to enter his presence in the tabernacle, they needed to go through this cleansing process. And Exodus, in, in Exodus, in these verses, God tells us that this was extremely important for them to do because bringing their sin into God's presence would mean death. And so the only way for them to enter God's presence and be in right relationship with him was to go through this cleansing process by washing in the basin. Now, this early blueprint that we see of the bronze basin was later carried out by Jesus himself in one of his final acts with the disciples. We read about this in John chapter 13, being the Last Supper. And so when we look at this encounter, um, the Passover meal had already started, and during it, um, it tells us that Judas had already made the decision that he was going to go betray Jesus, and he was going to turn him over to the authorities. But in the middle of the dinner, Jesus gets up and stops and proceeds to get the materials necessary to begin washing the disciples' feet. And Peter, ever the expressive one, um, begins to try and stop Jesus, saying, Hey, Lord, um, you should not be stooping to the position of a servant. That's our job. But what Jesus tells him in that moment is that the disciples needed to go through this process of cleansing if they were going to have any kind of relationship with him. Now, I want us to discover something tonight, because as I was reading these passages, something stood out to me. And so the way that the Last Supper passages work is that there's four different encounters that we read about in each of the Gospels of the Last Summer. In three of those encounters, the main emphasis is on communion and of the breaking of the body and, and the wine. Um, but in this encounter, the, the longer story that we read about is, is the washing of the disciples' feet. And what's really interesting is that if you go a few verses, probably 10 to 15 verses past what we just read, you'll find the moment that Judas uh, gets up and is called out and then leaves the supper, which means one thing is that at this point in time, when Jesus is getting up to wash the disciples' feet, he's also washing Judas's feet. And what's fascinating about that to me is that if you're like me, you have the natural tendency to dehumanize Judas is that we think of Judas as simply evil. He's the person who betrayed our Lord and Savior. 
and we dehumanize him and minimize probably what would be incredible strife that he was going through in those moments. Because in those moments of him making the dis- this decision and all of the guilt and turmoil that would have been raging inside of his mind and inside of his body, Jesus, in an incredible act of grace and mercy and kindness, stoops down to the position of a servant and also washes Judas's feet. And what that tells me about Jesus is that there is simply no sin that any of us can commit that would actually separate us from him. There's nothing, no amount of shame, no amount of guilt that we can wear that would separate Jesus from intervening with us. Jesus' sacrifice made a new path and a new plan for, for cleanliness in his sight. No longer do we have to wash ourselves before setting foot in his presence. Although, let me just say, it's never a bad idea to wash yourself before coming to church. The rest of us greatly appreciate it. However, now we are cleansed by the blood that Jesus shed for us. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That was Jesus' purpose in coming, was to provide this new way for us to be clean in his sight. And that was through him, and we all have access to him. So now I want to continue our journey through the courtyard, and now we would take our, uh, after we would have washed ourselves at the basin, our next stop would be at what was called the brazen altar. Now in contrast to the basin, the altar was a much more striking piece of furniture. Exodus tells us that it was the largest piece of furniture in the courtyard. The basin was also covered with brass, because in those times brass would have been the most resistant metal that they would have had to fire. Uh, and it would have been far more resistant than any of the more decorative metals like gold or silver that you'll see as we walk through later uh, chapters into the Holy of Holies, um, that some of the more decorative elements there. Also on the altar, there were ram's horns that were adorning the corners of it, um, which had a symbolic purpose. And God's instructions for the Israelites were two things. The fire always needed to be lit, and the blood from the animals needed to always be covering the ram's horns. And he did this because he always wanted the Israelites to have access to him to be able to pay the sacrifices that atoned for their sins. And so God's instruction to the Israelites was that they were to come twice a day, bringing a lamb each time, once in the morning, and then once again at dusk, to just make sure that they had covered any sins that had occurred in the, di- in the day. This was the original blueprint for forgiveness that God established for the Israelites and the way that they were able to resume a right relationship with God and then eventually enter into his presence. Now, personally, I find myself somewhere in the middle of my love and enjoyment of animals. I can enjoy going to the zoo or I can go enjoy interacting with animals at a friend's house, Um, but I also just enjoy a really good steak or a good piece of chicken. Um, and so I find myself somewhere in the middle of that kind of mental debate there, Um, and I'm going to guess that many of us find ourselves either in that middle or to one extreme or the other, and so I have some family members um, that are very allergic to the fur on, like, cats and dogs, and so they make the choice that they're going to keep their distance from animals, right, that they want to stay away because of the bodily effects that happen to them, and then I have another friend um, who insists that instead of killing the spiders in my house, I should go catch them and then bring them outside and release them, which would allow that demon to enter back into my house 
And so I just have to say, there's one rule in my house, and that all spiders die immediately with a vengeance. Thank you for appreciating that. All of that is to say, I personally am really thankful that we don't have to go in with that dirty process that the Israelites had to do, enduring the, the loud noises, the blood, that the people who brought these animals, these would have been animals that they had been raising, they might have been growing attached to, and yet God's plan for forgiveness called for there to be a blood sacrifice. And when Jesus died for us, he negated our need to do that anymore. He became the blood sacrifice in that moment to pay for our sins and, and provide a new blueprint for forgiveness. Our role now is simply to accept that forgiveness, pursue a growing relationship with our Heavenly Father, and live and walk in the holiness that Jesus has purchased for us. I believe that there is this deep desire that God has imprinted on our hearts from the way he created us to find forgiveness and have a relationship with him. If you've been in the church for a long time, you've already experienced what that freedom and joy comes like when you turn your life over to Jesus and begin to walk by his plans. And if this is a newer concept to you, then let me encourage you, there is no personal decision that you can make in your life better than accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior because he wants you to walk in freedom and to walk in unity with him. He loves you so much just as you are. He knows every mistake you've already made and the mistakes you're going to make, and yet he chose to die for you and pay for all of those sins. But for all of us here in the room, no matter where you are in your journey of faith and relationship with Christ, even when we've made that decision to follow Christ and accept the forgiveness that he offers us, there's still a healthy pattern in relationship that I think we see in the blueprint of the tabernacle to continue seeking forgiveness that God has established for us. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I believe that when we look at the tabernacle, there are three blueprints in God's new plan of forgiveness that we can gain and we are instructed to act on. And the first is this, find forgiveness. Jesus paid for our sins at Calvary, but there is still a healthy pattern that he established for the Israelites of going to the tabernacle once or twice a day to pay for those sacrifices that I think Jesus still wants us to walk in. Because even as Christians who have been purchased by Jesus' blood, we can still feel the weight of guilt and shame when we mess up and when we make mistakes that God wouldn't want us to do. We no longer have to offer the blood sacrifices to pay for those sins, but I do believe that there is a healthy discipline that God has established for us in making it a daily occurrence in getting right with him. Make that a daily part of your prayer life. That's my encouragement. It's difficult to remember to do, um, but if we start to adopt that, I think we experience as Christians, as followers of Christ, a greater sense of freedom and liberty that we are able to walk through by doing that. And so I mentioned um, earlier that there's that innate desire that I think God has placed in us to pursue that relationship and pursue that sense of being right with him. And that makes this first blueprint fairly easy for us as Christians to pursue. The last two that I want to talk about tonight are, I think, things that Christians struggle a lot more with. Because it's easy to want to be right with a God who is perfect, holy, and just. And I can tell you, and I know I speak for all of us, I am not any of those things on my own. I am someone who wants to be worn down by the weights of guilt and shame. And yet what Jesus tells us is that we are supposed to receive that same forgiveness that he offers us, and we are supposed to then offer that to ourselves. And that's our second blueprint tonight. Receive 
forgiveness. I mentioned earlier about the, the mirrors on the basin, and there's a fascinating comparison between shame, condemnation, and living free that I think got established in that. Because in those days, um, these bronze mirrors that the women donated, that would have been the only way for any of the Israelites who lived to gain any kind of uh, reflection of what they looked like. They didn't have the glass mirrors that we're used to seeing our own reflection so clearly in today. All they would have had were these bronze mirrors that offered a, um, not super clear, but a reflection of what they had. And I believe it was a very intentional decision on God's part in his path towards forgiveness for the Israelites as they're washing themselves, as they're going through this process of both physically and spiritually becoming clean in God's eyes to see a reflection of what that looked like as it was playing out. And so that's my question tonight. What do you see when you look back at yourself, when you think about yourself? Do you see your past mistakes? Do you see shame? Do you see guilt? Or do you see yourself in the way that God sees you as washed clean by his blood? Generally, most of us, we're our own worst critics. But the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that after Jesus paid for our sins, God forgets about them. When we make things right with God, we are washed clean, and he forgives and forgets the sins that we've committed. That is God's pattern, and yet so often we are not willing to do that same thing for ourselves. Satan wants us to stay and live in that guilt and shame. He wants us to be worn down by those feelings because it detracts and it negates our ability then to walk in freedom and do the things that God has called us to do in building his kingdom. However, that is not God's plan for us. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. When we accept Jesus into our hearts, we are adopted into his family, and God's plan for his children is far greater than what Satan's plan for us are. Satan wants us to walk in the shame and the destruction and losing our sense of joy and purpose, but God has called us to walk in the freedom of being his children. So go easy on yourself. Forgive yourself when you make a mistake. Forget the past sins that you've confessed to God in the same way that God forgets those sins after you've been made right. When you look back at yourself, when you think on yourself, think of yourself in the way that God sees you, washed clean as white as snow. So we've spent most of our time tonight looking at the forgiveness and looking at the blueprints of forgiveness in the way of being right with God and having right relationship with God resumed. And in the little time we have left, I now want to kind of shift a little bit and look at that blueprint in what God tells us is supposed to be our inner, inner interactions when interacting with each other. Most people I talk to have some sort of strained relationship in their family, and in almost every case, it stems from a moment of unforgiveness that broke a relationship. I've seen it between siblings, between parents and children, between friends, between extended families. And the tragic thing that happens in each one of these times is it's not just the two initial people that are affected. It spreads and it affects the entire family and puts this weight on them that they shouldn't have to bear. But that is the pattern of unforgiveness. And there's this nature inside of us, this human fleshly nature, that wants to see retribution for when someone wrongs us. We want to see the person who wronged us and offended us, dealt with, and we have a low tolerance for the faults of others against us. I know I am absolutely guilty of this, and I think most of us could probably name a specific relationship either that we have or that are between two people close to us that have been touched by unforgiveness. 
Now, there's not a direct blueprint in the tabernacle that deals with um, this idea of, of uh, disagreements between people that we see laid out there. There's other laws in the Old Testament times that, that uh, talked about this and gave them um, instructions for how to handle it. But if we look at what Jesus said about it, um, we find a, a pointing back to this initial blueprint of the tabernacle that I think now gives us a blueprint on how to walk through it uh, to even today. And so Jesus uh, is giving one of his most uh, famous sermons that he did in Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he covers a wide range of topics um, and specifically in one section talks about how to manage anger and disagreements with others. And so we're going to look at that quick in Matthew chapter 5 starting at verses 23 and 24. So Jesus is talking. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. At this point, Jesus is very obviously still alive. And so the Israelites at that time would have still been operating under the old covenant where they needed to go into the now constructed temple to offer sacrifices and, and find forgiveness and resume right relationship with God. This would have been one of, if not the most important ritual in the Jewish faith. And yet Jesus is establishing a new pattern here because he says, hey, I don't want you to do this yet. You have a disagreement with someone around you. You have a disagreement with a loved one. First, you are to go and, and find that person and make it right with them before you walk into the temple and, and resume your sacrifice. The new blueprint that Jesus was establishing to coincide with his blueprint for salvation and forgiveness with him was to forgive quickly and completely. This wasn't something that could wait. Jesus was placing a heavy emphasis on this, of being in right relationship with those around us. And that's our third blueprint tonight. Offer forgiveness. It's the more difficult path for us to walk through on our own, but the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and equip you because it's the path that ultimately brings life. Now, it would be hypocritical of me to stand here and tell you that this is a simple and easy blueprint to live by. I've experienced firsthand the weight of broken relationships that stem, for, that stem from unforgiveness. For me, unforgiveness is usually a defense mechanism. It's walls that I put up around myself to protect myself from the vulnerability and the pain that would happen of opening myself up and, and going to someone either to seek forgiveness or to offer forgiveness because that's a very vulnerable place to be, to offer that to someone, especially if they haven't approached you first. You're opening yourself up to the rejection that could come back at you and push you down and, and increase those feelings of, of anger and resentment. But as I've let Jesus work about transformation in my life, I've been able to experience a greater sense of freedom and, and resume relationships with those around me that I care about and that I love. Some of us in the room tonight have some really big and even unspeakable hurts that we've been carrying. That might be something that happened as a child. It might have been a hurt that you've been carrying for years. It might be something recent that has affected you. But I believe that what we find in God's blueprints, and therefore the best advice I can give, is simply this. Forgive completely and act quickly. If it's a disagreement you had this morning with your spouse, go ahead and forgive completely and act quickly. Because if we let that space happen, if we let that 
moment of disagreement and of conflict build and expand, then it becomes just that much more difficult. Then we start to say things that we didn't want to say. We start to express things we didn't want to feel. And in those moments, we let that separation increase and grow past what it was initially intended to be. And if you can get in front of that, if you can stop that from ever happening, forgive completely and act quickly. And some of us, we've been experiencing weeks, months, or even years of separation from people that we care about and have relationship with. And my advice is simply the same. Forgive completely and act quickly. Those conversations are going to be difficult now. They're going to be harder. They're going to be uncomfortable. But you'll find that the longer you let those go on, the more difficult, the harder they're going to be, the more painful they're going to be. And we need to choose as people who want to become more like Christ to move past that and to offer that forgiveness and pursue restoration in those relationships. Because the relationships that God has placed around us are simply too important. The work that God wants to do to build his kingdom through those relationships is too important to let guilt or to let unforgiveness and resentment take root and and stem the work that God wants to do. As we draw closer to him, we will find that our character becomes more like his and find it easier to forgive those who wrong us. So this feels like a good moment. Mandy mentioned our memory verse last week for the sermon series in Ezekiel chapter 36. And if you're like me, you have not memorized that yet. So we're going to have a moment of grace tonight. They're going to put it up on the screen. um, But we're going to read this again together and continue that work and memorization. So Ezekiel chapter 36, if you know it already, close your eyes and try and recite it. But otherwise, feel free to read it on the screen. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. As we let God renew our hearts and transform our hearts, we see the transformation that ultimately lets us walk in freedom, pursue our relationships with those around us, and enter into his presence and enjoy being in the presence of our creator. God established these patterns for the Israelites in the tabernacle, and he is still showing us the truths of the blueprints that are still in our heart today. Find forgiveness. Choose to walk in freedom. Find forgiveness from Jesus. He has it. He wants to give it to you. Receive forgiveness. Go easy on yourself. When you accept the forgiveness that Jesus has for you, he forgets any sin that you do. He forgets any sin that you've done, and he sees you as his perfect creation created in his his image and to walk in that light and freedom. And then three, offer forgiveness. Do it quickly. The time is short. We've all experienced relationships where someone has passed sooner than we thought. And in those moments, I hear so many stories of regrets, of wishing that things had been said. So in this moment, take the time. Be the bigger person. Let Jesus work that transformation in your heart to find forgiveness. It is not an easy thing to do. It can be a painful thing to do. It can be seemingly an impossible thing to do. But when we align our hearts with Jesus and we follow and become more like him, we see his work in us be able to transform us and point us back to him. Let's pray together tonight. God, you are good. You are kind. You are loving. God, we see the way that you've designed our hearts 
in, in the reflection of, of who you are. We see the way that you've designed us to not live with the, the symptoms that, that deteriorate and wear down on our bodies, but we see in the way that you've created us instead to walk in the freedom that you offer us. So God, I pray tonight that, that even as we're uh, praying now and thinking about the word that you've laid on our hearts tonight, God, that you would put relationships in our mind, God, put things in our mind that we need to ask for forgiveness for, put things in our mind that we need to offer forgiveness to others. Help us to, to lean on you, God, to become more like you so that when we face these troubling situations, when we face these overwhelming situations, when we face the weight of guilt from things we've done wrong, when we face the weight of pain and resentment, God, that we can hand those over to you, that we can lay those at your feet, and we can walk with your spirit to empower us to move past those things and resume right relationship. We love you so, so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.